This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, February 17th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellums. We start today's show with Michael Tilley on the phone from his office in Fort Smith. Michael, thank you for being with us. Well, I'm glad to be here. I had to take time away from I just don't know what to put in my closet anymore, Kyle. By the time I put the short sleeve shirts back in, it's time to put the long sleeve shirts back in, and then and then and then it's then it's time again to put the short sleeve shirts back in. So layers, I guess, dress in layers. I wish someone. Yeah, there you go. I wish someone. Someone, please let me know when it when I can do it all with some confidence. Let's start with animals. There is a. A new Fort Smith ordinance uh, concerning animals that some people are not enamored with. What does this ordinance do? Well, what it what it's trying to do is, um, and this is maybe oversimplification, but it's essentially trying to target some of these off book breeders who are alleged to be part of the stray animal population uh, overpopulation in the city. So what the board has done, and this is part of some other things they plan to do. They passed an ordinance uh, February 7th, it makes it illegal to transfer an animal in the city unless you've been properly licensed. Um, there's some other caveats, like if you're a business and you have a business location, like a pet store. Uh, it levies a $600 fine uh, on anyone who violates the ordinance. Now, there, um, uh, again, like I said, it's the first step. Uh, we talked to City Administrator Carl Gefkin there. Also working on a somewhat of an overhaul in the city code uh, related to stay and neuter licenses and, and ordinances. So that's going to be part of future, they think, future ordinances. The problem with this, and, and um, I, I'm not, I, I don't want to come across as critical as the city board or the city because I, I would not want to be in their shoes trying to figure this out. This kind of fall, this ordinance kind of falls in that category of unintended consequences. And so there are two big issues with that are two things that we're not sure about the answers. And one of them is how do you enforce it? We couldn't get it really a straight answer. I think it may be too early, but we called the, the Forstman Police Department. They referred us to the city. We got kind of transferred around within the city, and then the city eventually re- referred us back to the police department. A little unclear on how they're going to enforce this because it will take some enforcement to you know, track these folks down. It also probably the biggest issue and what we're hearing from some folks is what about people who spend, you know, a lot of their time and Kyle, you know, these, some of these people up in Northwest Arkansas as well, who spend a lot of their own time and money and effort rescuing cats and dogs that they see on the side of the road or wherever. Mm -hmm. Some of the folks we talk to, they essentially, once they rescue these folks, they essentially transfer those animals to other homes inside and outside the city. Well, this ordinance that just passed, would essentially prohibit them from doing that, which so it gets us to the unintended consequences part of the legislation. Now, the city maintains that's not the intent of the law, that we do not want to target those type of folks, but but the law says you can't transfer. It doesn't say unless it doesn't have a caveat for people who rescue. And, and the rescue folks we talked to said it kind of has, they, they get that, but it has a chilling effect on them. So you know, put yourself in their shoes, you're rescuing cats and dogs and maybe some eager neighbor calls, you know, reports you to the police. Then you have to spend time and your effort trying to convince the police that you're just rescuing the animals. You know, who wants to put up with that? So um, I think the city may have to tweak this ordinance a little bit, but um, they, again, I do not envy them. It is, and I don't think Fort Smith is um, unique in having a straight population problem. I don't envy them in trying to tackle it, but this this is um, um, if if this is a first step, let's hope let's hope that they kind of the next steps are a little more um, a little more clear, a little more defined. Sad news this week: um, Fort Smith Fire Department Chief Phil Christensen uh, died after uh, um, uh, something like a nine month uh, process battle with uh, cancer. Yeah, it is, and. Um, you know, and, th- and they determined that it's kind of a, um, a work-related. They call it a line of duty death because his cancer was um, from an exposure during his time as a firefighter. And um, you know, that's something I don't think we consider when we consider these men and women out tackling these fires. That there are uh, medical hazards that they encounter, whether it's the dust or ash or 
chemicals or whatever that they encounter in their job. So, yeah, Chief Phil Christensen, he was just 54. I've uh, been with the fire department since 1992. I mean, he was a lifer. He was dedicated to the cause. And just hate to see uh, such good people um, uh, cut short, uh, good leaders cut short uh, so early. So our best wishes and condolences go out to uh, his family and all of the, the fire department. So uh, sad to lose him. This week, the uh, Fort Smith Film Festival announced that they are receiving um, submissions for their third annual event, and they're receiving a lot of them. Yeah, it's um, here's where I have to be honest. Um, a few years ago, when this first rolled out, they had the first. I thought, we're going to have an international film festival in Fort Smith, really? Um, okay. But, man, these guys have knocked it out of the park. Brandon Goldsmith has, has kind of led it. Got some other folks, John McIntosh. He'll not be happy that I mentioned his name, and Clay Pruitt, and a few others. I'm missing some names, but I've really um, pulled this thing up. And so, uh, seven days after submissions opened, they had 86 uh, submissions from 17 different countries. Opening day, the first day of the submission, which is February 3rd, they'd received 53. Uh, submissions, and that was more than all of 2021 and 22 opening day submissions combined. So um, I just I'm proud of these guys. The festival uh, is set for August 25th and 26th at Temple Live, which is in downtown Fort Smith. It's a great venue for it. Now, and they're they're actively looking for volunteers as the events grown. They're needing people to do all kinds of things from from look at films, grade films, to work the event. So I would encourage anyone to go to their website. There's a process there, I believe, to sign up to be a volunteer. But anyway, it's nice to see one of these homegrown events really take off. And and to say it's a success, I think it's understated. It's it's really done well just just to be in its third year. Finally, when I was a child, I dreamt of working under a chandelier. But then I went into public radio and that (laughs) dream went away. Can you help me? Yes, you can come work. Uh, rent some workspace or get a membership at the at the mill and exchange in downtown Fort Smith. Look, Kyle, I took a tour of this place recently, and it is, I expected, um, you know, this is from the Hanna family, which built and renovated the bakery district a couple of years ago in downtown Fort Smith, which is very unique. It's very nice. And, I, and, and Phil White has been involved in this mill and exchange project. He's also been for decades now, renovating places in downtown Fort Smith. I knew this was going to be nice. I just had no, I had no idea. I just, I walked around the place when I was doing an interview, just like an idiot. All I could say was, wow. You know, every corner is like, wow. Uh, you'd think I'd have something more descriptive and intelligent to say, but it just, it, it's just amazing. And um, it's, it's open now. It's an 18,000 square foot building. It's a workspace. Uh, where people can come, they, they've got three types of memberships. They have a social membership, it's $100 a month. You can have a, you can work anywhere, almost anywhere. Uh, then they have thir- 13 dedicated desks that comes with a $250 membership. And, you know, that your name is on the desk and you've got a lock, a, a file cabinet that can lock. So that's your place. Wow. You have four uh, offices. They're, those are $500 per month membership. But those, those were reserved before the building ever opened and then got a waiting list for those spaces. So it, this was about uh, a 2.2, over a $2.2 million project to, to build out. But it is, it did not, not only was I impressed, but uh, talk business and politics will have uh, membership. We're, we're getting space in the facility because it's just a great place to work out. When I was touring it, I ran into several folks and just in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, for, for a news junkie like me, a newsman like me, this is going to be a great place to run into folks and find out stories, find out what's going on uh, in the community. So kudos to the Hanna family, uh, Phil White, for, for building such a great uh, new workspace in downtown Fort Smith. No, I always say that talk business and politics is a partner of Ozarks Large, so I think that gets me in on the on the social membership there. Well, if you don't say anything, I won't say anything. (laughs) Okay. Michael Tilly is with Talk Business and Politics. You can see the chandelier and much more at talkbusiness.com. I didn't mention that. Oh, sorry. 
Yeah, you can see it right there at talkbusiness.net. You bet. Michael, thank you as always. Arkansas PBS is celebrating 40 years of Arkansas Week, February 17th at 7.30 p.m. with an encore episode February 19th at 10 a.m. This program traces the history of Arkansas PBS's flagship public affairs program and why Arkansas Week is viewed by thousands each week for news analysis and election and legislative coverage in the state. More information at myarkansaspbs.org. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, continues its main stage season on Saturday, March 11th at Walton Arts Center. Performing music from Sona's debut album release featuring groundbreaking new music that blends acoustic and electric sounds, including works by Paul Haas, Trevor New, and more. After intermission, Sona musicians will raise the roof with the joyously beautiful Symphony No. 3 by Brahms. Tickets and information at sonamusic.org. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. It's Friday, and you know those weeks where... The work week was five days, but it felt like it was 45 days? Yes. That's an exaggeration, but it's been one of those weeks for me, and I don't know why. Yeah, yeah, this has been a very long week, a lot happening, especially in the Arkansas capital. So we're going to wrap up the week for you here. Arkansas is one step closer to asking the federal government for permission to enact a work requirement for residents of public housing. Members of the Senate City, County, and Local Affairs Committee yesterday approved bi- approved House Bill 1196, sending it to the full Senate for a final vote. The bill's House co-sponsor, Republican Representative Kendon Underwood, said that the goal is to help cut down on wait times for those seeking housing assistance. Currently, families spend about one and a half to two and a half years on waiting lists for public housing. And so by implementing this work requirement, uh, I believe this allows us to keep these resources for those who truly need these resources. If approved, certain able-bodied Arkansans would have to report 20 hours of work job training, or volunteer activity per week in order to qualify for housing assistance benefits. Bruno Schauer, senior policy analyst with Arkansas Advocates for Children and Families, said Arkansas's recent attempt to impose a work requirement for recipients of public health insurance is proof the concept is flawed. Our state's experiment with Medicaid work requirements had even worse results. Um, Because we were asking DHS to do more with less and didn't invest anything into outreach or administrative functions, ultimately all that we did was illegally kick people off of the program without any improvement to their employment. This comes a day after Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders announced her intention to once again seek a work requirement for some Medicaid enrollees. The Biden administration has indicated it does not plan to grant states' requests for work requirements tied to entitlement programs. Lawmakers have advanced a bill that would prohibit Arkansans from casting their absentee ballots in a drop box. Members of the Senate State Agencies and Governmental Affairs Committee yesterday approved Senate Bill 258, sponsored by Republican Senator Tyler Dees of Salem Springs. Democratic Senator Clark Tucker was the lone committee member to vote against the bill. He said he disagreed with Republicans' assertion that ballot drop boxes contribute to voter fraud. Perhaps there would be an increased risk for harming legitimate ballots, but the answer to that is to make sure that the drop boxes are secure or manned or whatever the case might be. Um, This is not the answer. It's currently not being used in any county in Arkansas, so we're preventing something that is not even happening. We have three cases of uh, voter fraud in Arkansas in this century, so we're just passing laws that, that we don't need, and there could be a need for a drop box in the future that's secured. Aside from cutting down on fraud, Republican lawmakers said the bill is needed to prevent legitimate ballots from being damaged. The bill passed the committee on a voice vote and now goes to the full Senate for consideration. On Thursday, Fayetteville city officials broke ground on the Wilson Park Hub. The new pavilion will be located in the heart of the city's oldest park, and will have restrooms, picnic tables, a public information board, and a changeable mural. Superintendent of Parks Ted Jack says the facility is meant to be a gathering place for patrons. This project takes an old restroom that had seen its days, and instead of going back with just a restroom, we're going back with a building that also has a lot of social space in it, and covered areas for pretty good in the summer, you won't be hot, etc. But it's so that everybody uh, can kind of have a place where they greet, meet, visit with friends, 
it's surrounded by pickleball, tennis, um, basketball, sand volleyball. So a lot of activities there. So a lot of times those courts can be full. So you can be waiting in a nice environment uh, to, for your turn to go play. The $1.4 million facility will be paid for by the Park Improvements Bond and Parks Development Fund, approved by voters in 2019. Well, the bond's really being used throughout the city, but in this particular park, it's one of the most popular parks in Fayetteville, so huge amount of people regularly come here for recreation. So spending money in the places that are high use makes sense because it's, it's hitting more people. More people are able to enjoy it. Jack says the city is working on other improvements to the park, including a stream restoration plan that would offer more creek access and construction of two new bridges. He also says this building will have measures to prevent stormwater pollution. Groundwork on the hub is scheduled to begin in March, and the project is expected to be finished by October. Alamo Drafthouse, an Austin, Texas-based movie chain, is planning to open a new cinema in Fayetteville. The theater, scheduled to open in 2024, will be the first Arkansas presence for Alamo Drafthouse and be located at the site of the former 112 drive-in and include the company's first permanent outdoor screen. The 112 closed in the fall after operating for four decades. According to a press release from Alamo Drafthouse, the Fayetteville location will also include nearly 800 luxury seats across eight indoor theaters equipped with 4K digital projection. The same release indicates the theater will have food, local craft beer on tap, and craft cocktails. The Arkansas Department of Parks, Heritage, and Tourism is awarding nearly $6.5 million in outdoor recreation grants to projects in 35 counties across the state. The grants fall into two categories, facilities for underdeveloped neighborhoods, or FUN, park grants and matching grants. The matching grants include funds for a splash pad, restrooms, and walkways at Marcel Phillips Park in Boonville. It's probably better to call them matching than unfun grants, yes. I would say. Voters in Springdale will be able to decide on reissuing its 1% sales tax. The Springdale City Council met this week and approved a bond referendum. With the tax, the city could gain about $360 million and $175 million of the money will go toward capital improvement projects. These projects include a new senior center, street and park improvements, and a new fire station. Shep Russell, a public finance attorney at Friday Firm, says this is based on tax levied in 2004. Springdale's had very good success with the bond issues administratively and uh having uh, the voters approve them. Mayor Sprouse says this is the maximum amount of bonds that can be issued. Citizens will vote on those bonds on May 9th. The Razorback baseball season opens this weekend with three games scheduled at the College Baseball Showdown in Arlington, Texas. The first game for the eighth-ranked Razorbacks is tonight against Texas. Arkansas plays number 15 TCU tomorrow night and number 9 Oklahoma State Sunday afternoon. The first game at Baum Stadium in Fayetteville is Tuesday afternoon against Grambling. First pitch for that Tuesday game is 3 o'clock. This weekend on the Vinyl Hour, I sit down with local country crooner Dylan Earl, and we give a spin to his brand new record. He's gearing up for a busy spring and summer with a series of singles on the way, an album being released on local label Garhole, and a big old tour. So yeah, it's just nice to nice to involve a lot of people that I really care about, especially the folks behind the label, because it's uh, folks I've known forever. So I'm, I'm so so happy to be releasing this thing here at home, you know, which I guess is is, is fitting because it, it is uh, an album that's largely about Arkansas. So I'm glad to be working with an Arkansas label as opposed to as opposed to going somewhere down the road to Nashville or Austin, you know. That's this Saturday at 5 on KUAF 91.3. Make me warm again And tell me Have I got a friend Cause there ain't no feeling quite like those Helltown River Blues It's a Friday Ozarks at Large, and yes, that means Becca Martin-Brown is joining me on the phone from her Bella Vista office. Becca, how was the week? 
interesting. As in the old curse about may you live in interesting times. Yeah. <laughs> if y'all don't know what I'm talking about, my boss's boss, Rusty Turner, who is the editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, announced this week that he's going to retire. Yeah. After And while I wish him the best. <laughs> yes. We've been doing this together for 35 years, which is even longer than Kyle and I have been doing this together. That's right. Well, Rusty's been in newspapers in this region for something like 40 years. So it's been a week of big news and big announcements. And that's kind of related to why I picked the topic we're going to talk about today. Which is? We have a column on the bottom of the Sunday Profiles cover called Hidden Gems. Runs most weeks, it trades off with some other things. And it's a book column. Sometimes you just need to curl up in your recliner or your book nook or your hammock or wherever your happy place is with a book and a cup of tea. And it's been that kind of week. So what kind of is this book column for our listeners' um, understanding? It's any kind of book. It is Ava Wallace, who is one of our reporters and my associate features editor, because I'm trying to teach her this job, and I both write for it. And so that takes it on every kind of possible book. It's author interviews, it's literary events, it's book reviews, it's all genres of books, it's books suited to all kinds of audiences, it's occasionally children's books. Pretty much, if you have written a book locally, or if there's a book that you love, we would love to hear about it so that we can write about it. Do you have any examples of books that have been in the column recently? Why, yes, I do. There is a professor at John Brown University, his name is Miguel Rivera, who has written a book called Sherlock Holmes and the Case of the Green Dragon. I was skeptical, reticent, as they say in Music Man. Oh, yes, I was reticent. Because how can you write a new Sherlock Holmes? And it's really good. In fact, he was published by, this author was published by MX Publishing in London, who is the world's largest publisher of Sherlock Holmes books, short stories, novels, and so forth. Can you give us a short synopsis? That's kind of an endorsement. Yeah. A short synopsis of the plot? There is the usual. Sherlock Holmes plot. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to tell you much more okay. than that. Okay. Except it introduces a new character named Rebecca St. John, who is sort of a combination of the only woman that Holmes ever cared about and Professor Moriarty. Is this available as a physical book? It is. It is available from Amazon. And he's working on a second book that he hopes to have out next year. Then there's one April wrote about. It's called All Eyes on the Sky in the Nuba Mountains, written by Samuel Totten, who's a professor emeritus at the university. Yes. And it is about life and death in the Nuba Mountains. It is fiction. But, of course, he's known for his nonfiction work. It focuses on one Nuban man who follows his conscience and puts his life on the line to save people. But, as April poses the question, does he go too far? It, too, is available on Amazon. Then there's the one that's running this Sunday, which is oh so close to my heart. It's about Bigfoot. Oh, good. Okay, all right. (laughs) So fiction. So my partner, no. Okay. My partner comes to me. We don't share a lot of common interests, but he comes to me saying, hey, I found books you'll like, because he's always on Kindle Unlimited looking for something new to read. And oftentimes he will look for a mystery that involves fly fishing. So he comes to me and says, I was looking for this, but here's what I found. It's stories told by a fly fishing guide who has been listening to campfire stories all these years about encounters with Bigfoot. And what is the title? They are called Bigfoot Campfire Stories. Well, you know by the title what you're getting, that's for sure. Exactly. (laughs) The author's name is Rusty Wilson. 
And here's a fun thing. He doesn't do interviews. The interview he did with me is the first interview he's ever done. And then next week, April's got a column about Kate Pritchett's short novels that draw upon people, settings, and events. She knew growing up in Greenville, Mississippi, but she sets them in fictitious Hembry, Arkansas. Interesting. Somewhere between Memphis and Vicksburg. Okay. All right. So down in the Delta. And her protagonist is named Mosey Fry, who's a real estate agent who lists houses where somebody has been murdered. <laughs> All right. Now I'm intrigued. So lots of fun. And I'm going to have a story coming up, probably in that space, about a mystery book club in Bella Vista that's been meeting for 10 years. Mm-hmm. They're celebrating their 10th anniversary. And I went to the meeting where I heard all about all kinds of different things that they consider mysteries, all kinds of names of authors, and told them I'd come back in November to talk about Rusty Wilson's Bigfoot stories. There you go. Now, if you're looking for things to do immediately, this is like the weekend of all theater ever. Right. Hedda Gabler is on stage at University Theater from Broadway and with Love is on stage at Crystal Bridges featuring Aaron LaCroix, who played Christine in Phantom of the Opera on Broadway. John Byrne University is doing Servant of Two Masters, a Commedia dell'arte that they've turned into a Western. Fort Smith Little Theater is finishing up their run of All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Theater Squared has one more week in its run of Kim's Convenience. Moulin Rouge the Musical is at the Walton Arts Center. And Little Shop of Horrors is our Arkansas Public Theater in Rogers. Well, you're right. you got a lot of choices. Or you can stay home and read about Bigfoot. There you go. <laughs> exactly. Becca Martin-Brown is Features Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Thank you, Becca. It's the Community Spotlight Week in Review. I'm Pete Hartman. A number of great events and community gatherings set for this weekend, and we heard about a few of them this week on the Spotlight. On Monday, Anthony Ball of Music Moves, a group that helps make black music accessible to students and our communities through performance and education, talked to us about this weekend's Arkansas Black Music and Film Expo, an event that begins today and continues through tomorrow in Fayetteville. This weekend, this is going to be our opportunity to come and and just put on a grand uh, presentation of black music, black film. We'll have uh, several uh, black directors that's going to be showing films. Mike Day, everybody knows Mike Day. He's a local celebrity. He's going to be coming with his his YouTube uh, series that he has out right now. It's funny, comedy, uh, drama stuff. Uh, We also have Quinn Grovey. He's a a Razorback legend, football uh, quarterback. Uh, His his film won it. Emmy. Uh, he's right here in Northwest Arkansas. Wow. This film covers his background of his upbringing in uh, Oklahoma to Northwest Arkansas. And also uh, we have headlining uh, our film festival, um, a Little Fire in Africa from Tulsa, Oklahoma. They'll be coming and uh, they're, they're artists, they're musicians, but also sharing that uh, history of the Tulsa burning and Black Wall Street. Uh, that's been a, a, a really big thing that's been going on in Tulsa right now. So I'm glad that they're right up the street from us, so it was it was great for us to be able to have them join us this year. Really excited about that. When and of course we have tons of music mm-hmm. that's uh that's coming to us as well too. We're uh, we're teaming up with the Fayetteville Mardi Gras Parade. Okay. you know. So what we always bring, we're going to bring some musicians. So mm-hmm. I got a uh, UAPB their marching band coming from Pine Bluff. Uh, they're going to be marching. They're going to be high stepping the parade. Okay. So I'm really excited about that. And of course Crescent City Combo, uh, a local uh, a local star. They're going to be involved with it as well, too. That, and after that parade, we're going to go over to Georgia's Majestic uh, and then have a, a, just keep the party going. A little of the UAPB marching band there in the background. Anthony Ball with Music Moves. For more on the Arkansas Black Music and Film Expo this weekend, musicmovesar.com. And speaking of that parade, the 30th annual Fat Saturday Parade of Fools kicks off on the Fayetteville Square tomorrow at 2 p.m. Earlier this week, we spoke with a board member who is also former royalty and member of the crew of Barkus. 
Chatty Comfy Platt. You know, it started just as a Tuesday night sort of second line on Dixon Street, and then we moved it to Saturday, made it more family-friendly. It's called the Fat Saturday Parade of Fools, and uh, it's just gotten bigger and more fun each year. All the proceeds are going to go to Peace at Home Shelter, and so all of that money that sponsors are giving, all, all we buy, spend on the parade is, you know, some beads. <laughs> That's about it. So uh, that'll be raising a lot of good money for Peace at Home. You know, Music Moves is is joining us this year. They wanted to have a parade, and, and we were already having one. So I was like, come on down. So there's going to be a marching band and music. And and uh, one of their volunteers has been helping us coordinate the volunteer effort. So it's really been a great collaboration, and we're looking forward to a wonderful day. Chatty Cumpy Platt with the Fat Saturday Parade of Fools again starts on the square at 2 p.m. tomorrow, goes south on block, then a left on Dixon Street. For more, FayettevilleMardiGras.com. For more on Peace at Home Shelter, that's the group that's benefiting from the parade, PeaceAtHomeShelter.org. Also taking place tomorrow, Saturday, February 18th, a free citizenship class at the Fayetteville Public Library. It's the second year for this community event. Here's Ellen Weintraut, an attorney with Northwest Immigration Law. I'm just one attorney at Northwest Immigration Law. It's myself and several other immigration attorneys from the area. We're members of a group called the American Immigration Lawyers Association, or AILA. And so we, AILA, are partnering with Fayetteville Library to put on this free citizenship clinic. What we'll do that day, and it starts at 1030 in the morning on the 18th, we will do a quick overview of the process of of becoming a citizen in the United States. And after that overview, we'll go through and actually do free consultations with people who may be interested and actually try and help them fill out their applications for citizenship. Um, Sometimes there's a language barrier, too. So it's got to be a difficult thing. Definitely. And I'm glad you mentioned that. So we last year did our overview um, bilingually. So we did it both in English and Spanish. And so I don't want that to keep people from coming out. Um, And many of the attorneys also speak Spanish in addition to English. Um, There are definitely hurdles out there, and that's why we want to offer this service, this this free opportunity to learn about the process and just help people if, if they're able to do it. For more on tomorrow's free citizenship clinic, the Fayetteville Public Library at FAYLIB.org. No registration is necessary for tomorrow's clinic. And we'll wrap up this edition of the Community Spotlight Week in Review with this morning's conversation with Lacey Post. Lacey, an MFA directing candidate at the U of A and director of the university's production of Hedda Gabler, which begins its run tonight on campus. Lacey says she's been working on this project for the past year with the past five weeks filled with rehearsals. So Henrik Ibsen, a Norwegian playwright, sort of the father of realism, um, father of the well-made play. But Hedda Gabler is, I think, his most interesting play. Um, it's a dream come true as a director to direct this play because it is uh, one of the more challenging pieces out there. Um, Hedda Gabler is uh, the first female anti-heroine, and a lot of people compare this play to almost like the female Hamlet. Okay. So she's not likable. She's an unlikable female. Um, she's trapped in a marriage, and she lashes out in all the ways that she can. So it was written in 1890. Um, our production takes place now with sort of elements that um, remind us that this play is that old. So 130 years of uh, the same struggle, a lot of the same themes ever present in our society. So we're looking at it with a kind of contemporary lens, but we've got elements in our design with scenic and costume that sort of harken back to that, like, Victorian era. Lacey Post, director of Hedda Gabler. Performances run through February 26th. For the schedule or for tickets, uark.universitytickets.com. But they'll also be available at the door there at the University Theater. We'll hear from more of your friends, neighbors, and colleagues working to make our community the best it can be next week during the Community Spotlight segments here on KUAF. That's 6.31 and 8.31 a.m. each weekday, and of course, heard here on Ozarks at Large. I'm Pete Hartman, and remember, your voice matters.
This is Ozarks at Large. For many folks in the podcast world, Jody Avergan is a household name. You've heard him on the 538 Politics podcast, 30 for 30, and he's been behind the scenes as a producer or story editor on many others. Earlier this month, Jody partnered with the TED Audio Collective, as in TED Talks, to make a new show called Good Sport. I spoke with Jody earlier this week, and he said that this show was less about guiding a story along logically and more diving into the curious nature of sports. And so to have a project that was much more about ideas and starting from kind of what is something I'm curious about or what is a big theme that I feel like matters, and then we work into it from there, um, I actually found that really satisfying and kind of very different from some of the other stuff. And so... You know, that's and it's frankly been different from a lot of the stuff I've done in my career where I've tended to not be super voicey necessarily and, and, and in this in this project I've just kind of found myself opening up a little bit more and doing some more writing and just kinda of like offering my perspective a little bit more than I have in previous projects and so that's been very satisfying. You got your start in public radio. I'm a public radio journalist here. And I think there's this uh, there's this idea that it's hard in public radio to talk about sports because you assume you assume no one follows sports, no one pays attention to sports. What do you think is seen as a challenge to tell sports stories to folks who don't follow sports? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. I certainly felt it too, like coming in when I was in public radio and I would like run the uh, March Madness bracket, people would look at me <laughs> like, what, what is going on here? Like, who is this strange creature who cares about sports? You know, and I'm not like a sports nut. I mean, I grew up, you know, I played sports. And as I say in the podcast, we sort of dip between the lessons from playing sports and the lessons from just observing sports and being a fan, you know, but I feel like it's all the same world. And I, you know, I feel like over the course of making this series, we've obviously each episode looks into one specific question and it kind of like tries to answer a specific question in sports that maybe has a bigger lesson for the rest of the world or for ourselves. But over the course of the series, I think we've ended up hopefully making some sort of defense of sports as a really good lens through which to understand the world. And that's, that's really it. You know, and I say this in the first episode, but like sports has been the place where I've learned many of the biggest lessons in my life. It's not the only place, but I think it should be understood and accepted that like, this is a really important sphere um, through which, you know, the world can tell itself stories and understand and organize itself and learn lessons and so forth. And, and, you know, you get like, I think you were referring to this, you get people who are kind of like, no, I'm just not like, just dismiss it out of hand. And I'm like, people don't do that about music or film or books. Like people don't just say like, no, I don't think music matters. Like you may not, (laughs) you know, think that music is the most important thing in the world for you, but you don't just sort of like ignore it as a sphere. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not like trying to shame people into watching sports or whatever, but I think if we can sort of acknowledge through this, through this project that like, there's a lot of lessons here and that the world of sports offers this really great platform through which to kind of like observe a bunch of dynamics that do teach us something about the rest of the world and ourselves. You know, that's really, that's really what we're, we're trying to be up to in a larger sense. I wonder if there's some intentionality in the first episode of the show that the two sports that we hear the most about are ultimate frisbee and table <laughs> tennis, like two sports that we don't necessarily, you know, think of as like, you know, your average American sports fan is going to be, you know, really up to yeah. speed on table tennis and frisbee, right? Yeah, well, you know, the frisbee thing is just, I mean, that happens to be the sport that I kind of like fell into and, and was like the main sport. And I say this in the first episode, you know, we kind of just... I'm talking about Ultimate Frisbee in this series much more than I have in anything else. But, you know, I am sort of understanding of how in the public imagination for a lot of people, they're like, not a real sport. Like, what's going on here? But, you know, it is what it is. That's the place where I kind of, you know, I think I don't know if I say this in the first episode, but it's like as seriously as you can take something that's as seriously as I've took that for my 20s and 30s. And so it is what it is. That's where I learned my lessons. The table tennis thing is interesting just because, I mean, I do think we wanted to highlight all sorts of different sports throughout this series. So we talk about table tennis, we talk about biathlon. We also interview Steph Curry, you know, like we talk about a bunch of different, (laughs) you know, sports. Um, But in this first episode, I mean, 
you know, what we were looking at, what we're looking at is this idea of, of hotbeds and these little pockets of the country that produce a particular kind of athlete. And so we thought about going to like, oh, there's a high school in North, in, in Florida that produces really great wide receivers. We thought about doing something there. Or we thought about swimmers in Palo Alto or, you know, there's this interesting fa- thing with like quarterbacks in the NFL where a lot of them are coming from Texas and now a lot of them are coming from California. We landed on table tennis just because it really is this remarkable pocket where over the last 15, 20 years, years, like this one community center in Milpitas, California has started to produce a table tennis Olympian one after another. And so it's this great little test lab to go and and look and say, what's, you know, what's going on here? And what does it teach us about nurturing talent, giving people opportunity and all these kind of larger things that we get into? Jody Avergan is the host of Good Sport, a new podcast from the TED Audio Collective. You can find new episodes of the show wherever you get your podcast, And you can hear an extended version of our conversation on Weekend, Ozarks at Large, Sunday morning at 9. KUAF's concert series, The Lunch Hour, will be taking place on Saturday, February 25th during the 5th annual Black-Owned Northwest Arkansas Business Expo at the Fayetteville Town Center from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. We will be celebrating Black History Month alongside more than 60 Black-owned businesses in the region while enjoying food from local Black-owned food vendors and music from artist and filmmaker Mike Day. For more information on the event, visit KUAF.com and look for The Lunch Hour. This is Ozarks at Large. If you're heading to the theater this weekend, chances are you're going to see Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. I think it's the 33rd or 34th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Let's find out if we should go to the theater to see it. And we call on our resident film reviewer, Courtney Lanning. Courtney, welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me. Now, you know where I come from. I've been reading Marvel comics for, I don't know, 45 years. Uh, I'm a big fan. But there have been a lot of these films, and it's tough to keep up the energy and the interest. Tell me what you thought about the third Ant-Man movie. Well, Kyle, I'll be honest with you. I haven't been reading comics for, (laughs) what did you say, 43 years? Something like that. You know, it was a rough, yes. You've been reading comics (laughs) Uh, for a decade longer than I've been alive, Kyle. Very good. Very good. Um, (laughs) No, I, I too have been reading comics, although not for that long. Mm Mm-hmm. And Ant-Man is my favorite Avenger. If you'd asked me through phase two and three, who you, who's your favorite Avenger? I'd go, Paul Rudd, I love Ant-Man. I love the dad who is just trying to do right by his daughter as opposed to the epic demigod or the super soldier or you know the man who builds billion dollar robots. Right. It's just, he's always been my favorite. And so I'm sad to say that Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, it's a bit of a letdown. It's filled with shoddy writing and Mm. chaotic CGI that's really an assault on the senses and just the standard Marvel cliches. It all ruins so much for me in this movie. You know, the first, and and seriously, not to make a pun, but the first couple of Ant-Man standalone movies were smaller, right? They were, like you said, it was, one was in San Francisco and it was just about him trying to make things right for his uh, tween daughter. This one from the from the previews, looks like it is much more than that. It is. Um, director Peyton Reed, who has directed all the Ant-Man films up to this point, I remember reading, he said, uh, tired of the Ant-Man films being these little palate cleansers after these big Avengers events. And he said he wanted this to be epic. And that's exactly the problem, because Ant-Man, by Marvel Cinematic Universe definition, is not supposed to be epic. He's mm. supposed to be you know, the littler guy taking on the smaller adventures. Uh, His movies are supposed to be more funny than they are action packs. And, you know, I think this movie proves that bigger isn't always better. Anything? I mean, how's Paul Rudd? We all love Paul Rudd. Uh, Unfortunately, he he doesn't get the chance to be his Mm. charming, you know, lackadaisical self that we've all come to adore through these movies um, because his energy is, is just sucked out by all this, this, epic world building we've got to set up for phase five and this this new villain we've got and the conflict of the quantum realm and it's just too much it doesn't allow him to be the character that we love completely different also new this week uh a movie that's about the life of emily bronte emily yes this is a biographical drama i'm assuming it will take some 
fantastical turns with its storytelling. Um, but it's it's about the the famous British author who wrote Wuthering Heights. What do you got next week? Next week is a movie that I have been waiting for the entire <laughs> month, maybe even for parts of January. It is Cocaine Bear. I am so excited for this movie. I don't think it can let me down, Kyle. I really don't. So what do you hope from, because I've seen the, the trailer for Cocaine Bear, which is about a bear that eats a lot of cocaine and then goes on a rampage. Do you hope it's so bad it's good, or do you just hope it's good? I'll take either. Okay. Um, you know, the, the vibe that I get from it is kind of like, a, in a way, a B-monster movie. Mm. Uh, and growing up, my favorite B-monster movies were the Tremors series. With Kevin Bacon. Uh, Kevin Bacon, yep. You know, the underground worms that hunt by sound. and I don't know. I, I wore out my VHS copies to death watching the first three <laughs> over and over again. So, you know, if, if it's a B-horror movie with this monster, uh, cocaine bear, I'll, I'll be happy. That looks like it does not take itself seriously. No, which is exactly what you need with a story like this. Yes. Comes in packed at a nice 90 minutes. Yes. It knows what it needs to do and get out of the way. Um, I, I have hope, hope, high hopes for it. All right. We'll hear about Cocaine Bear next week. You can read the full review of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania in today's uh, Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Courtney, thank you so much. Kyle, thanks for having me. The Alma Education and Arts Foundation presents Cross That River at the Skokus Performing Arts Center, February 25th at 7.30 p.m. Cross That River is based on real history in which black cowboys lived and helped settle the West and takes audiences on a musical journey into why black lives matter. Tickets at 479-632-2129 or skokuspac.org. The University of Arkansas Department of Political Science offers political science and public administration and nonprofit studies graduate programs. Both programs train the next generation of local, state, national, and global leaders in the public, nonprofit, and private sectors. Applications for fall 2023 and graduate assistantships are available for qualified applicants. plsc.uark.edu for more information. The governor of Arkansas announced yesterday that she plans to sue the Environmental Protection Agency. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders and Attorney General Tim Griffin made the announcement at a gas power plant in Little Rock yesterday. They said the EPA refused Arkansas's implementation plan to limit toxic gas emissions. The state regulations are meant to honor the ozone rule, a federal law which sets air quality standards. Individual states are allowed to craft their own regulation plans in accordance with the rule, but they can be rejected by the EPA if they fail to limit pollution. Governor Sanders says Arkansas's plan allows for more emissions than the federal government will allow. What's more, they're refusing to let us revise our plan to meet their demands. Instead, they're mandating a one-size-fits-all regulation for Arkansas and 24 other states. The governor is suing to block an alternate federal plan from going into effect. She says she's worried the EPA's regulations could cause Arkansans to lose their jobs. Monday on Ozarks at Large, Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History is back. He'll be in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio with archives to help us race into history. And they're off for the lead. On the rail, that's Madame Dominar for the early lead. Getting it on the extreme outside, it's Fussy Girl. The history of Oaklawn Park in Hot Springs from simple racetrack to Racino. That's on Mondays, Ozarks at Large, at noon, 7 p.m., and available as the absolutely free Ozarks at Large podcast. Speaking of podcasts, a live version of one of our podcasts taking place in just a few days. That's right. Uh, if you look at the Undisciplined podcast feed, you'll see that our most recent episode, it's a live conversation we had at the Squire Jahagan Community Outreach Center here in Fayetteville. On Tuesday night, we're having our second conversation, a live conversation um, for Black History Month. We're talking about the history of food insecurity in Northwest Arkansas. We'll have a very wide panel of folks, including folks who work in the, the food bank world. They work for nonprofit organizations. We'll also have State Representative Denise Garner um, on the panel as well. It's going to be a really great conversation. That'll be on Tuesday night. 
February 21st from 6 to 7.30. It's going to be on the University of Arkansas campus in Memorial Hall in the the room where uh, the uh, African and African American Studies program resides. So that's going to be on campus February 21st from 6 to 7.30. The previous uh, event that we had... Mm-hmm. Uh, just a, a week or so ago, mm-hmm. you can hear that conversation as the most recent Undisciplined podcast episode. Yes. There was a question and answer period at the end of that event. Yes. Which you won't hear because, I mean, we didn't have a mic. Right. So what I'm saying here is, while you can hear these events happen later as part of the podcast, there are things that happen in person that we can't capture and, and deliver. So Right. It's, exactly. It's it's certainly a worthwhile trip. Make your way to Memorial Hall if you can on Tuesday night. It's always a really great crowd. It's always fun to just like feel the energy of it happening. Um, and it's it's going to be a really wonderful conversation. That's the Undisciplined Podcast. And you, of course, can find past episodes of that through your podcast feed. Speaking of podcasts, we've got another lunch hour coming up. That's going to be part of the Black uh, Expo mm-hmm. at the Town Center. Our lunch hour that day will be at the Town Center. Second time we have gone off our campus mm-hmm. to, to go, and you can hear and see past lunch hour performances and conversations. Just go to the KUAF uh, YouTube page. That's right. So we're keeping it. And if you want to know any more, because we've got other podcasts. Yeah, we sure do. Resilient Black Women, Points of Departure, um, Natural Election, which even though the election is over, there are some conversations there that pertain to the greater election picture, not just what happened in in 2022. Right. Yeah. It was an elections podcast, but it was really a civics podcast. There you go. So all of those, you can find them all at um, KUAF.com. On this week's On the Media, early coverage of the train derailment in Ohio left many with unanswered questions like, you know, why it happened. It was mystifying to me that TV news networks still approach these tragedies almost as acts of God or mere accidents because eventually the information does start to come out. Disasters happen. Why aren't we better prepared? On the next On the Media from WNYC. On the Media, Sunday morning at 11 on 91.3 KUAF. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bella Vista, and Deer. I see what you did there. Mm -hmm. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. If you're keeping score, we said uh, Elkins, the Buffalo River. Yesterday was Batson, which is in Johnson County. Bats are mammals. They are. And today, deer. There you go. Matthew produced today's show with extreme patience in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. Contributors today included Michael Tilley, Pete Hartman, Becca Martin-Brown, and Courtney Lanning. Daniel Carruth delivered sound and information about the project at Wilson Park, and Anna Pope brought us the news from Springdale City Council. News from the Arkansas Legislature came from the newsroom at KUAR in Little Rock. If you listened to our noon show yesterday, you heard me promote the Jason Burrow would be on today's show talking about how he became the associate music director of the touring production of Hamilton. Mm -hmm. We just had a little too much today, so that interview is probably going to be on the show Tuesday. On Tuesday. Probably Mm -hmm. on Tuesday. (laughs) Let me just throw that in there. One of the beautiful things about making a daily show is that some days we have too much, some days we don't have as much as we'd like to, and this is one of those days where both kind of simultaneously happened. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Hey, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, we have weekend Ozarks at Large Sunday morning at 9. We'll start a brand new week of brand new shows uh, Monday at noon and 7. From the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. 